Sometimes I think when I was happy I had just turned 20 And I met her at a party I was starting to get all those funny feelings in my chest and Hey everyone, Misaligned is back And this week we have on Derek Rossignol I hope I said that correctly I know I asked you in the last podcast we did together <laughs> You absolutely nailed it Awesome. And he is a freelance writer who writes a lot about music, but also entertainment in general. So I thought it would be good to mm -hmm. have him on and sort of get another freelance writer perspective. I know we have quite a few people who do that. So I've had a few guests on already, but you do freelance full time. You don't have really mm -hmm. a day job, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, first, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, of course. And, and yeah, and I've been a uh, full-time freelance, I think for like a year and a half now or so, and it's been all right. It's been working. I'm uh, paying bills. Nice. Yeah. I have been doing exactly the opposite for the last year. <laughs> I've been ah. trying to find work, but have not found work. So I'm sort of just trying it's hard to, out there. yeah, I'm trying to sort of just pitch things here and there. So I <laughs> feel like you're definitely a good person to have on. But before we dive into the freelance writing, I just sort of want to get a feel for when you really got into music and sort of what music you sort of focus on in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, let me see. I guess probably my earliest music memory is back in the days of LimeWire. What I would do is I would go on our old Windows 98 we had in the basement, <laughs> started, started download of a song that was like three, three and a half minutes um, and then go play outside for a half hour. And then when I got in, it was almost done. <laughs> um, yeah so so i was absolutely part of the uh, p2p generation um and then i would always burn all these mixed cds that that looking back now were just absolutely garbage but you know <laughs> i would i had that i had passion for it so that was uh something i guess um i guess my first real sort of like big music fan experience my first favorite band which this will probably lose me a lot of credibility in the <laughs> quote indie community but it was a uh, u2 okay yeah i remember watching uh my my uncle had brought over one of their concert dvds and i watched that and and at the time i that was probably in like the seventh grade or so i was just totally blown away by it um and they became basically literally the only band i listened to for like three years no i mean a lot of us are definitely more so into our parents' music when we first really get started in music because for mm -hmm. me, my parents listened to country and what is now classic mm -hmm. rock. So mm -hmm. those were sort of my first forays into music and they listened yeah. to quite a bit of 80s. So like Oingo Boingo mm -hmm. was a Oof. largely played band in this household, well, or, you, you know, in the car and whatnot. Because mm -hmm. I remember when I got my first CD player, it's like, I didn't really have too much music of my own. So I was playing their Oingo Boingo CDs quite frequently <laughs> and everything. And from there, you know, I think everyone's music taste sort of really starts to develop in, you know, mm -hmm. that late middle school, early high school yeah, for sure. time period, because then you're surrounded by plenty of other people. And since I went to a very, very small school in middle school technically you know my graduating class was literally eight people 
there weren't really that many different music tastes within Mm -hmm. eight people if you know some of us were even listening to music at all it was pretty much just you know what was on the radio and then i got into green day a lot because that was sort of what my cousin was into and she was sort of like passing stuff on to me so Mm -hmm. i think it's totally acceptable that you were very into you (laughs) too Wait, so your graduating class, so your high school graduating class was eight? That was my middle school. Okay. And then I I went to public school for high school. So I went from like a graduating eighth grade class of eight people to like a graduating high school class of 600 and something people. So Uh, for me personally, it was sort of like mm -hmm. a culture shock getting into high school. But then, you know, you typically adjust Mm -hmm. fairly quickly the younger you are. So I kind of got used to it. And then... I had a group of friends I would always go to shows with. Like a few of us would team up. I would drive to Warp Tour and, you know, they would pay for oh, gas and whatnot. So, you know, that's sort of when I started listening to a lot of bands like, you know, I started listening to Green Day more, Jimmy World, and sort of found all mm-hmm. of these bands. And I think my music tastes have definitely been the same now that mm-hmm. I'm out of college still, but I still listen to a lot of country music and that sort of thing because that's just what I grew up with and was so used to hearing that it would be weird not to listen to that now almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So two things. One, I was going to say, I'm usually the one with the, uh, with the uh, small school story because my high school graduating (laughs) class was, was 29. That is small for high school. So, you know, I only have you beat prior to that because I went to Montessori schools, which are typically Uh, very small in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm from like the northern tip of Maine, so okay, it's, it's sort of a sparsely populated area. Few people spread over lots of farmland, but I loved <laughs> it up there. It was great. Yeah, and you're still in Maine now, right? Yep, in a southern Maine. Now I'm only okay. like like an hour and a half, two hours outside of Boston. I'm in uh, Portland, Maine, the other okay. Portland, as they call yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who's. I believe five minutes outside of Portland, I think he said. Oh, cool. So that that's funny because I guess his parents have like a retirement home and he's basically living there taking care of the place yeah. for now until they retire. So he kind of like has this nice setup there. And, you mm-hmm. know, y- you mentioned freelance writing pays the bills. And obviously with me being in California and you being in Maine, mm-hmm. our bills are probably yep. very different. <laughs> very different, I would imagine. Co- cost of living here is very friendly towards me. Yeah. And I feel like I have quite a few friends who are you know, in Maine, in Ohio, and they tell me what the rent is for some of these places. And I was like, are you yeah. joking with me? Like, are you pulling my leg mm-hmm. here? Or is this like a real <laughs> thing? And I, because I've been in california for all but college and then in college i was in philadelphia so it's not like expenses got any cheaper there Mm -hmm. really so you know it's crazy to me that you know freelancing can i don't want to say easily pay because getting freelance Mm -hmm. jobs in general is not easy but you know yeah a lot of people will live in these more remote areas and sort of just work on freelance writing or you know freelance PR and that sort of thing. And yeah, they can totally make it work. So I sort of wanted to pick your brain about that. You mentioned you started doing it full time about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. How much longer before that were you doing freelance writing? Obviously, at some point you were either in college or had a day job or something and doing writing Mm -hmm. on the side. So when did you really start 
those initial freelance writing jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's uh, let's figure out this timeline here. Um, <laughs> I probably started doing freelance stuff, mo- most of it not paid early on, probably like three years ago or so, probably okay. like that. And and at that time, I was in school still, and I had a job. Actually, I was in school and I had two jobs. I was working at this college housing complex and I was the um, editor-in-chief of the campus paper. Okay. So in between that and class and freelance, I was staying pretty busy. Um, and then I got done with school I was and and with the uh, paper. And then I was doing that, that uh, college housing job. Um, and then... I started getting more work that was paying me enough. And then I realized that my job at the housing place was stopping me from getting more work writing. So I crunched some numbers real quick and realized that it would be totally feasible for me to put all my uh, eggs in the freelance basket, quit my IRL job, if you will, (laughs) and and do that. And um, yeah, I've I've been, I've been paying the bills and, uh, sort of expanding my online reach. So I've been pretty happy in the past year and a half or so that I've been doing it full time. Yeah. And you mentioned working for your college paper. So my first question is, where did you go to college? And my second is, did you major in journalism or something like that? Or was yours totally (laughs) unrelated to writing? (laughs) So I went to college at uh, UMaine, which is in a central Maine, small town called Orono. Um, and yeah, I did major in, in, in journalism and I had a minor in English as well. Um, okay. but that said, I know that I worked with, I had classes with and worked with, uh, people at the paper who didn't major in, in journalism. And if you already have those skills of writing, and if you already know how to go out and talk to people, you're almost better off, um, sort of not majoring in journalism and majoring in like poli sci or or like biology or what have you if you want to be a journalist in those fields because you'll because i think you'd be better served being an expert in your field that way than being an expert in sort of the act of journalism if that makes sense yeah it definitely does because when i was at drexel i majored in music industry and that's sort of where i Mm -hmm. started to realize i enjoyed reviewing albums and that sort of thing and i would by no means call myself a journalist i know i've mentioned to you that i run hi-fi noise and that's you know more of a review and a news site but i've been trying to branch out and if i had planned for this i could have done a lot more writing in college and sort of done Mm -hmm. all of my free writing there because right now i'm writing for on a more regular basis i've been writing for a website called talking comics which is where i have been reviewing the flash and supergirl tv shows along with reviewing Mm -hmm. comics almost weekly and you know that's unpaid i write for a lakers website a packers website and then on top of this podcast being for modern vinyl every once in a while i'll have some posts Mm -hmm. go up there and whatnot and then i've also done a couple posts for jesse cannon and johnny minardi's noise creators website so it's like i've had five or six different sites where it's all been unpaid. So I'm kind of at the point where I want to at least start pitching sites that pay and sort of see what I can get going through there. And I know Mm -hmm. you write for Nerdist and you were doing this feature called band camping that I specifically wanted to bring up because I thought it was a very entertaining post. And I really liked reading it because as someone who also runs a label 
Bandcamp is sort of where I try to go to look for bands to work with. And then, mm. you know, from there, I'll go to their Facebook page, find their contact info and that sort of thing. But Bandcamp has become such a huge tool in the indie music scene. And even mm-hmm. some of these smaller to mid-sized record labels are using it to house all of their digital sales. And even for some bands, they'll put up their physical merch on there. So when did you come up with this idea and how did you pitch it to Nerdist? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, band camping is a site I had always uh, been into because, um, as you said, it's, it's a nice platform for artists to get their stuff on there and for fans to find it. And perhaps most importantly for the artists, they get usually a much larger cut of their own sales than they would through iTunes or through other sort yeah. of merch vendors and whatnot. Um, and I guess the idea for the column came from both a desire to sort of find some hidden gems in there and to get, excuse me, and to get a a regular sort of stream of content that I'm writing on like a weekly or a monthly basis or whatnot. I was talking to, there's this journalist out there. His name is uh, Zach Dion and he was kind of a, a, a mentor towards me early on. He also went to Umaine, not when I did. We missed each other by like a year, but we had some mutual contacts. And he's he's pretty well established. He's written for place. He's written for pretty much everywhere. He's written for places like Rolling Stone and uh, GQ and stuff. And now he's an okay. editor at Fuse. And so I reached out to him, just trying to trying to pick his brain for advice. And basically, he told me to just one, always hustle, um, just always be trying to make contacts and connections and to try to get some source of regular content. Um, whether it's like a review of a show, because that's, that's a, a guaranteed payday once a week or some sort of column or what have you. And so I saw sort of the idea for this bank camping column as an opportunity to get a thing that is sort of my own little corner, um, that I can get paid for on a regular basis. That's, that's right. one thing that I can always count on. Nice. And is that something you're, you are still doing for Nerdist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Awesome. Um, it, it's, it had started out weekly, and then I guess the uh, the uh, numbers didn't make sense. Readers were probably getting too much of a, of a good thing, as I'd <laughs> like to, to paint it for myself in my head. Uh, right. So, so we then cut it back to once monthly. But yeah, I'm still doing that, so it's nice. I like it. Awesome. And you mentioned writing for free in college. When did you sort of realize mm-hmm. people were willing to pay you for your writing? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess I was, I never looked for work that was like, 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 Oh, the, the, this is free. I'm qualified for this. I can go and get it. Um, what's, what's, what's cool about being a journalism student as opposed to being like an engineering student or a nursing student or something. Um, if you had, while your uh, degree for engineering or nursing is sort of a license to go out and do those things. You don't yeah. need a quote license to go out and write and try and start early while you're still in school and, and be a journalist. So I didn't treat right. myself as a sort as a sort of student just trying to get scraps off off the table. I sort of uh, postured myself as a peer to these people who are already working online and doing work and and seeing myself in relation to them and thinking, well, they're doing that. Why can't I do that? So I just went and pursued it the, every opportunity possible. Um, it, it just so happened that the ones at least on paper that I was most qualified for early on weren't paid. Um, but then I, 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 I started doing more of those and doing it for more sites. And then 
as you get more bylines at more places, uh, you can sort of list those places. And if your list is longer, if, if you can say you've written for more places, editors are more prone to uh, trust you. And then, and, and then you start getting better names. And then as your list gets better names on it, then other editors will trust you and so on and so forth. So it's just like snowballing basically. Yeah. And I feel like that's sort of why I'm doing not only my own site, but branching out and doing more, I guess, specific sites, you know, talking comics is definitely very comic book based and they don't do mm -hmm. a whole lot outside of the comic book TV shows, reviewing comic books weekly and that sort of thing. And they have, you know, podcasts, which I already have enough trouble handling two podcasts a week of my own. So, you know, I have not volunteered to be on their podcast, even though I would not mm -hmm. have to do the editing and that would be great. But, mm -hmm. you know, as someone who doesn't have a job at the moment, you know, writing for free gets a little frustrating at times, but oh, I'm sort of looking at it in the sense that, okay, if I write here and I write here, you know, I could go to one of these bigger websites that covers a wider variety of things because I've written for, you know, a comic book specific website. My site is mostly music based. I do have, you know, like film and TV news coverage and I'll review some of those things on my website once in a while. But then, you know, I have a tech tab as well, but it's like there's hardly anything in there because my website is definitely more geared towards music and film and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And then, you know, I have two very, very specific sports websites that I try to write for weekly, but it hasn't been working so far just because, mm -hmm. you know, it's when time. you have... Well, it's sort of like for me, when you have a team that is doing well, like the Packers won seven games in a row or something like that. And then the Lakers mm. have been improving but still losing a lot of games so it's like i feel like i can only say so many things when things are going really <laughs> well and when things are not going so well that i don't want to sort of keep repeating myself so i sort of wait until i have these better ideas for those mm -hmm. websites and then you know talking comics and my website are the more frequently written for ones mm -hmm. and you know i've started pitching things to substream and mm -hmm. i haven't asked if it pays because you know i have a couple of friends who write for that there or internet friends i should say i haven't met mm -hmm. most of these people that i podcast with or you know talk mm -hmm. with on a regular basis gotcha. but mm -hmm. it's one of those things for me where i'm willing to pitch ideas and sort of worry about the money later even though it would be great to only pitch to sites that pay right now but have you ever done something like looked on freelance writing job boards or do you sort of just pitch directly to the websites themselves uh what i found is that if you do find some sort of freelance r r writing board um they're crap basically <laughs> um i've I, i've never really found one that's been of use um pretty much how i've sort of uh looked for most of the opportunities that i've gotten or ones that I haven't gotten, but have d emailed about. Um, I just think of websites that I've seen, uh, and I just go to them. I try to find email address if they have a contact address, or try to e email their editors, um, and pretty much just send out a bunch of emails. I have a uh, a website, DerekRossignall com, that has a bunch of writing samples and photo samples and the resume and stuff. And I would just sort of put out feelers basically everywhere that I could think of. Um, 
like prior to me having uh, like a pretty solid stream of work like I do now, I would be sending out probably at least like 10 emails a day to 10 different editors or sites, just, just, just trying to find work. Um, and so like, I can say now that I've written for, for all these places, but the gigs that I did get is a small, a very small portion of of the gigs that I sought. Um, so, so I think it, it really is just about really trying to cast the widest net possible. Um, cause that's, that's happened to be what's worked for me so far. And, um, yeah. And like I said, if you're casting that wide net and you're, and you're getting these opportunities that you can, you can parlay these opportunities into opportunities that are like one level above or whatnot. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much just really getting it out there. Yeah. And so you mentioned sending out 10 emails a day. Were you necessarily sending 10 different pitches to 10 different websites or would you sort of pitch the same idea to a few different websites and try to see who would bite on it? Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, um, well, it's it's kind of a, a discouraged practice to like send the same idea out to multiple places because what if right. in a crazy scenario, all of them say yes, then you got to tell the rest <laughs> of them no and, and, and that makes you just look like garbage. Um, right. A, a, a lot of times what I would do is, is if I would have a pitch that was, that was timely for like a certain story feature column op-ed or whatnot, I would pitch it to one site and, and see if it stuck. But most of, most of the emails that I would send is just ask if there's room for me to uh, contribute to the site. And I would just list off things that I've done, areas of interest that I write about, link, link to my site so they can see writing samples and the resume. Um and just fire off a, a, a bunch of those. Yeah, I had been directed towards some of those freelance writing job boards that we just mentioned. And mm-hmm. I've sort of gone through and every once in a while, you'll have like screen crush looking for writers on there. But more often than yeah. not, it's a lot of websites that sort of want more technical writing, not necessarily yeah. entertainment writing and that sort of thing. And I had applied to a place that wanted technology writing specifically and you know they got back to me asked me to send three titles for you know a post about a specific thing i believe it was about vpns so i sent Mm -hmm. the three titles and everything and then just never heard back and i was like okay do i follow up or do i Mm -hmm. not follow up because i already sent them what they wanted so i have not followed up and i've sort of kind of just put that one to the side for now and you know I looked for some things on Indeed last night and I went through and filled out something for, I believe it was Ranker. And, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, they're more of like a list-based website. Mm -hmm. Like they want lists for everything, basically, sort of like BuzzFeed does. But yeah, yeah, I think what you're saying is probably a much better approach. Well, I have not emailed the same pitch to different websites. I have Mm -hmm. sort of hit up I think it was birth movies, death, and they sort of just Uh, have a contact form and they want you to send a pitch. So in that situation, it's like, okay, well, do I ask if they want people or do I just send a pitch and see if they respond? And I, I think I actually sent them something about stranger things specifically, which you Mm -hmm. and I just podcasted on for my other podcast, (laughs) but I never heard back from them either. So I was like, all right, do I do the idea myself? And I think, what I need to start doing is even if I don't hear back from these websites, just 
go through with the idea, write the post and at least post it on my own website Mm -hmm. and sort of go from there. And then, you know, at least I can say, hey, look, I'm capable of doing these posts already that I'm sort of pitching the same type of ideas for. And I think I just need to get better at sort of coming up with ideas and actually executing them because, you know, sometimes... I'm sure you know this. You'll come up with an idea at like the worst time possible and you're like, oh, okay, I can't do anything about mm-hmm. this right now. And then, you know, if you don't have a way to write it down, which obviously with smartphones now, that's become a lot easier. Yeah. But you then forget about it later. Like, you know, I have some notes in my phone and I'm just like, what is this even about? I have no idea mm-hmm. what I was telling myself. And then I'm just like, okay, well, this is just going to sit here until I figure it out. So I think basically some of the best advice is to sort of just go out there, write, keep writing, even if, you know, Mm -hmm. it is disappointing at times and just keep trying to get your name out there because that's really what's going to help you in the long run. Would you agree with that? And do you have any other tips for being a freelance writer? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I would. I I would definitely agree with uh, trying to get your name out in terms of um, just sort of trying to get your name in as many email inboxes as as possible. Um, Like, like, for example, uh, how I ended up getting started with Nerdist is I had uh, I've been there for just over a year now with them. And I had emailed, I think, a few of their editors, probably I forget the timeline exactly, but I did that at some point. And then six months after that, one of them got back to me because because right. at the time when I had emailed them, they didn't have a need for new writers, but my name was still in, in, in their inbox and in their files and whatnot. So when they when it did come time for them to need new writers, um, they had me in there and they had examples of my work and they saw me and they wanted me and they brought me on board. And I think that's why if you're looking on those sort of job posting sites, um, you won't see those gigs when when they're looking because right. they because they have writers who 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 sort of are already waiting in the wings who've already contacted them and um, shown that drive and just gone about it on their own that way. Yeah, and I've noticed, especially with Nerdist, you know, when you hit the contact us button, it gives you an advertising at Nerdist dot com email. So to oh, really? me, I was like, okay, that's a little strange. So I'm not going to email that one because you sort of want to try and find the right email or the right person to email. And Mm -hmm. I feel like emailing advertising at for pitches and whatnot, it's just like, yeah, that'll do nothing for you. (laughs) Right. And it's odd to me that, you know, that's their go-to email for the contact button on there. And I've noticed other websites, you know, they'll typically have like an info at, but I also try to stay away from those as much as possible just because that's sort of like the black Mm -hmm. hole of email, (laughs) especially with bigger websites. So, you know, it might take some work to find these people's emails, but sometimes they're even very easy to figure out. Like if you have someone else's email for the website and it's like first name dot last name, it's Mm going to be the same for 99% of the rest of the people who Mm -hmm. are there. And it's definitely going to take some work to go out, find those emails. And then you will get the websites, like I mentioned, with Birth, Movies, Death, that just do a contact form. They don't even offer Mm -hmm. up any sort of email to contact. And I feel like, you know, 
you just kind of have to play their game and figure out what they want in order to get your name through to them. So that's definitely something I hope to kind of improve on and start hitting up more places. Because like I mentioned, I've really only been pitching to Substream right now since I sort of Mm. know the guys there who are sort of running things or the ones to send the pitches to in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I think the key is don't be... um intimidated i guess by any opportunity if you find any sort of contact email address i say try it right. uh, the worst thing that, that, that that's going to happen is they'll either say no or they'll just not respond and then you're in the same spot you were before so that's yeah. fine um i forget what else i was going to say but but yeah <laughs> just 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 go after it and just try as much as possible um like i i started out this year uh, trying to find some new work just to sort of liven things up and broaden my reach and get my name out there and stuff. And I probably over the past week or so, I've, I've probably emailed probably like 20 or 30 different addresses for a few sites. And I've heard back from a few of them so far and that's put some coals on, on the fire. So, um, so yeah, it is, you do definitely want to be trying to establish quality connections, but it is also about the the uh, the quantity and the uh, hustle of just doing it. Yeah. And do you have any specific way you sort of keep track of what you're pitching to which websites and who you've mm-hmm. contacted? Because you just mentioned, you know, emailing a bunch of people already at the beginning of this year. Do you have some sort of system or do you sort of just check your sent folder and be like, all right, I sent emails to these people already. Let me look for some other people. Um, yeah, I did. I, I used to have this, um, just big spreadsheet where I, I listed all the contacts, uh, to whom I've reached out and this, and the sort of status of their contact and whether it's time for me to follow up or not. Um, and that, that's what I was doing as I was sort of just starting trying to, as I said, cast this wide net, um, but now in in more recent days, I do kind of what you just said, just sort of check the outbox and see what I've sent and see if it's been long enough for me to follow up or not. But if for, for somebody who is sort of just starting to try to spread their wings and really build a, a base of contacts, I'd, I think being being organized is key so you don't get, get overwhelmed, especially if you are sending out um, a, a lot of emails for a lot of different opportunities. Yeah, and I think... You know, I'm definitely going to take your advice on sort of just emailing people to see if they're even looking for new contributors or that sort of yeah. thing. Because like you said, a lot of times the more popular websites like, you know, Nerdist, EW, they probably won't necessarily post job listings, so mm-hmm. to speak. You know, sometimes they'll just have it within their website if they're looking for contributors. So mm-hmm. you can't really go to any one central place to find writing jobs and you kind of have to even keep track of all of those places if you do something like you know i know entertainment careers will have a writing section but it's not i was just looking at it the other day and it's not a huge selection there because that's more geared towards specifically like the music and film industries Mm -hmm. and you're not going to really get rolling stone posting for staff writers or something like that yeah yeah yeah, ultimately you just got to kind of think of what the sites you're going for are 
are are going to want in terms of of the kind of writer that they're going to want are they are they are they are they going to want someone who just sort of checks a job board and if it's not there oh well or are they going to want someone who's um industrious and creative in their approach even even if it's just in finding a way to reach out and and make contact if they come across somebody that way that who sort of found a maybe not as commonly listed point of contact um i think that's sort of a nice um intro to them seeing you as a as a sort of creative person who's um reliable for them yeah definitely well i think you know that sort of wraps up my prodding questions here about freelance writing but i do want to talk to you a bit about sort of what media in general you're looking forward to in 2017 our last episode was our most anticipated records so are there any albums you are particularly looking forward to movies tv shows i don't know if you're much of a reader but books or anything like that Mm -hmm. uh let me see well there was there were a few albums that are coming out in the next few months that um um, that i want to get a hold of um I know the XX, I think their new one came out yesterday or something, but I haven't heard it yet, so I'll put that on my list. Um, beyond that, there's, I think, in between now and March, there's albums by uh, Cloud Nothings. They're like a punk band. They're pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That's on my list as well. Yeah, th- that'll be a nice one. Um, then there's Teen Days. He's more sort of um, uh, the electronica type of stuff. He's he's usually pretty solid. He has something coming out, I think, in February um and then there's this band called tennis they have a new one coming out soon it's a husband and wife duo kind of like airy indie folk kind of thing it's nice but it's also kind of like uh like a 50s pop sort of thing so it's neat um and then there's just sort of the 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 bigger ones next year that don't have release dates yet like there's there's a new gorillas album coming out um lcd sound system has a new one hopefully at, at some point this year um but I think maybe the one piece of media that I'm looking forward to most that I'm aware of this year um, was just announced last night in that um, Nintendo presentation thing, Super okay. Mario Odyssey. That game looks amazing. Is Have that going that to be... I did hear a bit about the presentation. Is that going to be only for the Nintendo Switch? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be on, on the Switch. And what sucks about it is that it's only coming out next holiday season. Oh wow! Yeah, that, yeah. that's a while. <laughs> yeah, and, to wait. and and that that was actually kind of part of the basis of this column I, I wrote this this op ed I wrote this morning for Nerdist. Um, it'll it'll be up by the time this podcast goes live. But I basically wrote that um, I don't think the Switch is going to have a great uh, rollout because there, when it comes out on March third, there aren't going to be many compelling reasons to want to buy the console the 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 roster of launch titles i, I think is pretty weak i know i'm personally not going to buy one on launch because the, there aren't, aren't enough games that i'm going to want to play enough to buy a new console for so i didn't particularly keep up with the presentation but you know i have friends who are much bigger video game players than i am because i haven't had consoles since the game boy advance sp and the playstation mm-hmm. 2 as far as handheld and you know consoles go yeah and 
the thing was I had a TV in my room, but I elected to get rid of it and put a desk in my room like the good high school student that I was <laughs> because I needed some place to do my homework. Right. And, you know, I haven't really picked up video games again since then. I know you and I were going back and forth before recording today, and I mentioned mm -hmm. that I had downloaded this app. It's called like GBA for iOS. Mm -hmm. and I used to have that. Yeah, I had downloaded it once before, but I think I was just too lazy to figure out how to put the games on there that I ended up mm -hmm. deleting it. And, you know, so it's I have convoluted a couple of, doing that. Yeah, yeah I have a couple weird. of Pokemon games on there and a Legend of Zelda game. And I know Zelda was announced as a bundle with the Nintendo Switch. But to me, from what I could tell, at least, it seemed like they didn't have too many games that they were offering. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, if you buy the Switch now, and especially if you buy the Zelda bundle, it's like, what do you do sort of if you finish these games quickly? Because there are plenty mm -hmm. of people who will play a video game and sort of do like what I did when I, or what I do when I binge watch Netflix shows. I sort of just sit there and watch it all in mm -hmm. one or two sittings. And people will do that with video games as well. So it's like, all right, you kind of have to get these games rolling out a lot faster and you mentioned mm -hmm. you know mario odyssey not being ready until the holiday season and it's yeah. like okay that is quite a wait so why mm -hmm. even bother announcing it this early yeah. almost mm -hmm. and i think the i think the problem with having a zelda game as your main launch title is that that's a that's a franchise that's obviously very loved and it's um pretty well um revered and it and it it, it it even sells very well it sells right. it, it it sells itself very well but it it won't sell a console um when i was writing uh this this uh, op-ed i had mentioned um i was finding stats um about the zelda games on the wii u and the wii and i was looking at like top 10 lifetime sales of these games and on the wii u i think a zelda game was like 10th all time whereas in the top 10 eight games were were mario games and then for the wii it was uh likewise pretty close so zelda sells very well it sells more than than a, a lot of games do but it won't as as, as i said it, it won't sell the console mario is a console seller i don't believe that, that zelda is a console seller and i think that the switch will suffer for it yeah, and, you know, Nintendo just took to the iPhone as well with Super Mario Run, and because I had been out of video games so long, I was like, all right, I'll try this out. You know, I happened to have iTunes gift cards, so I didn't feel as bad about the $10 mm -hmm. price tag as some other people did, but it's like, you know, mm -hmm. I bought it, I played it a lot. I still play it once in a while because basically once you go through all of the levels and you know save princess peach as usual in a mario game you can go back and sort of collect these coins and then there's three mm -hmm. different levels of coins so it's not like once you run through the game once you're done and you can yeah. do toad rallies and play against other people so i think they did mm -hmm. a fairly good job with that game and sort of I agree. Making it so that you want to continue playing it. It's not like you just get this storyline and once it's done, the game's over. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for the console games, a lot of them are like that, where it's like you play through it. And then once you play through it, it's like, okay, now what do I do with this game? It's sort of just going to sit there for a while more than, often than not. Mm -hmm. I would just 
love the option to play it once now. Like I was watching the, the, right. the event last <laughs> night and I saw the trailer and it's like Mario in the city and then he's in like this like shanty town and then he looks like he's in Mexico and it just it, it it looks so just like a divine experience that I wanted to experience as soon as possible. And then I saw the the uh the uh, the release date of, of holiday 27, 2017 and it broke my heart. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, all right, if you're go- going to do that, just announce it in like, you know, September or October or something. Don't give someone something in January mm-hmm. and make them wait until, you know, October, November, December for it. Mm-hmm. And I hope they don't fall into sort of the same thing that happened with Apple with their AirPods where they got delayed and it's like only x amount of people were able to even get it before christmas mm-hmm. because nintendo, nintendo does have problems with that too yeah i think for nintendo that would be very very not good for them <laughs> i'm sure there was a much more elegant way to put that but basically no. it would not be good at all and mm-hmm. i think if you make them wait so long it'll be even worse if they don't get it by that time, because it's like, all right, well, what have you been doing all year then if you can't have it mm-hmm. ready, but you can have a trailer for us in January? So I definitely yeah. plan on sort of following along with the news for the Switch just because it's sort of mm-hmm. the first console in a while that I can sort of recall making this much noise. Because when you get a new PlayStation, it's like, all right, you, you kind of know what to expect with that. But yeah, with Nintendo, safe. yeah, they're bringing about this whole new thing. And completely new games and everything you know they're not just throwing gta 20 on there or something like that whatever it's at now i'm sure it's up there but yeah as someone who hasn't been a video game person in a while it's definitely still interesting to see what happens when these newer consoles come out so i don't i wouldn't say i'm also looking forward to it i just want to see how it plays out that's fair well i think i think how it needs to play out for them is that it this console as a whole, since they're coming off of a console, the Wii U, that commercially didn't do that well. I believe it sold over its lifetime 13 million units as opposed to the Wii, which sold like 103 million. Um, so they're coming off a big flop, and I don't think they can afford to have two console flops back to back and stay relevant in the home console game. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that about wraps it up for what we have today and you know it was great talking to you about the freelance work and Mm -hmm. obviously you have many more interests other than just music so you know we'll definitely have to have you back on at some point but again thank you for coming on yeah thanks for having me it was a lot of fun yeah awesome and thanks to our listeners as always enjoy the rest of your day